Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We're continuing our leadership series with Bishop Jameson Hardy today. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. Talking about leadership today, particularly talking about communicating. Something we, we do every day. We do it every day. <laughs> Bishop Hardy, thanks so much for joining us on the Coffee Hour today. Great to be with. We are having a blast working through your book, Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People, from Concordia Publishing House, new release this year. We had fun sitting down with you at LWML convention, just getting to introduce the book, now getting to work through it chapter by chapter. Today, we're talking about communicating effectively. What are, through your formation as a pastor, what were some of the models of communication that you were taught in your pastoral formation as forms of communication or modes of communication that would be effective for a pastor, whether they were good, bad, or ugly? <laughs> yeah, no, th- that's really a good question because I'm a unique, I'm in that generational time frame that's kind of unique in that I'm old enough to have kind of the old school verbal, written phone calls in terms of the direct communication. Predominantly for me, it was the preaching in, in Sunday church or announcements that were made or the public meeting space. And and then as I've gotten older and, and gone through high school, college, seminary, and then into the parish, that's all shifted to a, to a more digital style of emails, social media, written communications that are put on platforms that, you know, chat groups and the like. It's never minimized, or in my personal opinion, it's never supplanted the direct verbal one-on-one between two people uh, or, or for the pastoral leader from the pulpit. And I think you read the entirety of the scriptures and you see in every case in the New Testament with Jesus, you have a oral exchange between Jesus and pick any number of audiences, you know, lay people, Sadducees, Pharisees, disciples, it, it doesn't matter. But there's this direct verbal communication that is that is exchanged. And in every one of those cases, deep theological principles are taught and are communicated. So, you know, like I say, I, I used to, I love to listen to my great grandmother talk about the age from prior to the television, to the black and white television, to the color television. You know, she was a, she was a generational type person that saw things like the automobile saw things like the actual telephone, listened to the radio, and then was able to see black and white, and then, of course, color television. And I, I used to just marvel at listening to how, as a generational person, living through all those things. And to a certain degree, I think all of us here, you know, we've lived through that digital communication kind of era that has come upon us, and, and it's still changing as, as we speak. I mean, just think about the cassette tapes going to DVDs and now to, you know, devices like a cell phone where we record things on. So I, I think ultimately for me, I've been blessed with being taught the quote unquote old school communication methods and moving all the way through to modern technology for today. Are there models of communication that you've found most effective in your vocation? Yeah, look, I use them all for certain. 
I, nothing replaces the one-on-one -on -one communication. Nothing replaces the oral communication. I don't, I don't care what you're talking about. Now, there's some strategies that we implement. We send out an every Friday newsletter called Servant to Servant in the English District, communicating all that's going on in the district. And I, you know, a lot of districts do this. A lot of congregations are doing this. My senior pastor, Chris Toma, at Our Savior in Heartland, Michigan, sends out e-news every Sunday morning. Now, in his case, he's a he's a habitual writer, and so you know it's it's thirty thousand words every Sunday morning. But I do think that it's it, it varies location to location. Regular, consistent communication along with that public proclamation is really important. I will say this. The congregation that I serve, we are moving back towards announcements after the service. Even with a wonderfully dedicated weekly written e-news from the senior pastor, because you can't replace sitting in church and hearing a physical announcement or listening to the preached word. I, I just I'm thankful for internet publications for for worship, but there's just no replacement for sitting there and, and physically being a part of it. What do you do when you've communicated something, important information, repeatedly? <laughs> like it's been in the bulletin for eight weeks. It was in the bulletin, guys. I remember <laughs> serving in the parish and having it like someone had a T-shirt that said, it's in the bulletin. I think it might have mm. been the church secretary. Uh, yeah. But so what do you do when something has been communicated for repeatedly for weeks and someone misses it or or maybe something you've been preaching on, but they just haven't got it? What? As a leader, what do you do with that when the communication isn't making a full circuit? The circuit's not closing. We just, it's kind of ironic. We just discussed this at the Council of Presidents meeting regarding convention announcements and registrations, elections, you know, run up. And look, statistically speaking, Marketing tools will clearly state that you need to repeat something seven times before it becomes a pattern for people. That's why you see these product advertisements repeatedly shown on commercials within the same, like, for instance, the Super Bowl. You get all these wonderful commercials in the first half, then you start seeing occasionally those getting repeated in the second half. And then after the Super Bowl is over, you see those rerunning multiple times because seven times is important. I think. There's a, there's, a, there's a layer to this that I didn't write a ton about in my book, but I know it's in there, is the participants who are hearing have to take accountability for the desire to process the information they're getting. And I think that goes to the point of, of chapter seven, communication as a pastoral leader. It's a two-way street. It's the information being given, and it's the person receiving the information. And so there's no doubt about it in congregational life People need to be repeated announcements in the bulletin or from the front often over and over again to to get them to the seriousness of committing to doing or being or whatever is being talked about. But I think what I tend to do is when when we're not getting the response we get, we pick the phone call up and we, you know, we reach out and say, hey, listen, I know you've seen this repeatedly for whatever reason. You know, it's not been a priority. We need to know X, Y and Z. And, and I'll give you a perfect example of this. One of the things that the Senate does annually is this statistical analysis to to know how many members are in churches and how many worshipers are in a service and how you know all these things that are really important for us as it pertains to life together. 
we've had to pick the phone up and we've had to call congregations because we've sent out emails, no, left messages. We've had to get a physical person to get that stuff done. So, I mean, it's frustrating, but I also think being effective pastoral leader, sometimes you have to go to those extreme lengths. Like I say, picking up the phone or go visiting, knock on the church door and see who's in the building. And did you hear about this? Uh, we've only been saying it 75 times. Um, it's it's an effort on both parts. That's the summary. It's an effort on both parts. Are there ways in that communication in a ministry setting is different from communication in maybe a more secular setting or or a different setting outside of ministry life? Are there things that make communication in a ministry setting unique? I think there is because people take advantage of mercy and forgiveness in the church way more than I think they do outside the church. Additionally, in the secular world, especially if we're talking about a clientele that's being sought after, marketing companies or businesses are going to chase, repeat, they're, they're going to go above and beyond to continually expose themselves to that person they're trying to get into their market space, whether that is a church or not, it doesn't really matter. You know, there's this, there's this persistence to go after and to continually chase. Whereas in the church, there's kind of a accepted understanding that we're all here for the same reason. So if there's this group of people, whoever they are, who are not responding, they're not doing what we're asking them to do, they're not coming to the events, any number of things, it's kind of, there's a frustration that's created on pastor's parts, on church secretary's parts. And I can, I can articulate this from my own parish. And so I do think there's a distinct difference because the church, I don't believe, is willing to put the effort into it that, say, marketers are willing to do in order to achieve customers. And I'm not saying we should go to those lengths. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I do think sometimes we've got to understand this is societal problem, right? This is not a church problem. This is a societal problem. It's an attention span problem for people today. Everybody wants that quick snippet reel from Facebook or, or Twitter or whatever that's, that's 30 seconds to 45 seconds long. In fact, to that point, Sarah, I'll tell you, one of the things we've done in the English district is I've asked my communications folks to start putting out more and more news clips on our Facebook and Twitter page that are real style, like, you know, little videos uh, of information, because that's what people are doing. I find myself doing this to myself when I'm in the airport and I need to waste some time, you know, so I think we've got to adapt uh, the way communication is happening today. But understanding what you're communicating, pointedness in your communication and repetition in your communication, those are the same principles that they've always been. That seems like such a challenge. Do we... The wrestling with what society has done, and do we do we repeat it? Do we copy it? Do we yeah. do we practice communication in the same manner, or um, adopt those new methods in order to be present in the lives of those we serve? I guess that's a philosophical question, really. That's probably for another episode. <laughs> no, but yeah, let, let me say this though: to your point, it's that philosophical wrestling match. When I became bishop. My predecessor still did a written monthly newsletter, old school kind of, you know, paper. We send it out. When I came in, I immediately stopped it and I went to this Friday email and we've been doing it for eight years. It's kind of standard practice. It's really looked forward to by those who receive it. It's a philosophical problem for me. You send me a four page written newsletter on paper. I don't. I'm not reading it. I, my, my 
pattern of life is that that I a lot of everything's on the phone, right? So I, I mean, I do think philosophically there are churches, and I know many in my own district that still do the old-fashioned written newsletter. Pastor puts out a written report every month. Me, I don't write something every week. I put pictures of where I visited, and and that might seem, you know, counterintuitive, but for me. I do that because I want my people to know where I'm at visiting, and I'm also encouraging the pastors that I have in my district to understand the chief responsibility in the, in the church for them is to visit their people. So for me, we publicize where I go by picture and not by words so that, and I got to tell you, I have a lot of people that kind of track me in the district that, you know, they, hey, I saw you were here and here. And, you know, I got a text from a buddy of mine in um, San Francisco. I was there last weekend, and he was kind of smartly sarcastic saying, Hey, this is how it goes. Hey, so-and-so I'm in town. I'm close to you. Let's get together. You know, That was what he said to me. And so, I mean, he was very good with his communication because it was really, really kind of cute. Although it was slapping me in the face for not reaching out to him, you see. <laughs> so, so I think communication done effectively is, is the greatest tool, no matter the platform. It really doesn't matter the platform, except in our modern society, Old school papal newslet paper newsletters every single week or month just they don't cut it. Yeah, the papal newsletters don't cut it either. That's what it was too. We're gonna take a quick break. We are talking with the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, who's Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment, right here on the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We are talking leadership with the Bishop Jameson Hardy of the English District of Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People from Concordia Publishing House. All right, we've been talking about different um, approaches to communication and effective communication, especially for pastoral leaders. When we think of communication, quite often we think of um, sending out a newsletter or sending out announcements or preaching or proclaiming. What role does listening have in effective communication yeah, for a pastoral leader? It's very, that is a phenomenal question. It's the transition in this chapter in the book that I make to talking about the fact that communication is not just about speaking and giving information. In many instances, it's also about the intentionality you have in in receiving communication, in this case, listening. I tell the story in a book of a complex situation that I was a party to as a circuit visitor, and I watched a reconciler from come in. And very pointedly, I asked him, you know, can, can you teach me how to listen like you? And he looked at me with a smile and he said, no. And then he went on to explain that 
the level of listening that he does is actually, a, it's a gift. It's an art that he has that, that he communicates to people that he cares by his effective listening. And I think that goes into part two of what you asked earlier, Andy, and that is when things aren't going well with people receiving communication, it's a two-way street. They have to be actively listening to the communications that they're receiving, whether it's written, oral, or, or the like, and processing them and then doing them. One of the things I love about technology, you know, I used to carry around and, and up until probably 20, I don't know, 15, 16, right when I became bishop, I used to have a old school, that CPH pastoral calendar, the week on it, had the spiral. And, you know, every week I would, I would carry that wherever I went. It was so, but now with the cell phone and digitally, we have a family calendar on, on Google that we use that all my kids have access to. My wife has access to it. So we all put stuff on that calendar. So when I'm making decisions, and, and again, that's a communication device because without speaking, we have a device that allows us to communicate with each other, our schedules. And the same thing goes in highly effective congregations with highly effective pastors. They have tools that they use to communicate that they're listening to each other via the communication they're receiving. And I think that too is, is a significant art that we really have to spend more time helping people perfect so that they have the ability to be effective in their communication also as a listener. Yeah, sometimes we jump straight to replying or giving advice or, or doing all of these things where we're responding to something instead of taking that step back for a hot second and actually listening to what's happening and, and what people actually need and, and what, what you actually need to be communicating to them. Are there things, what, what is worth communicating? Do we communicate everything? Do we communicate one thing a million times so somebody gets it? Like what, are there other parameters for what is actually worth communicating in, in a ministry setting? This is, this is kind of a wonderful question because I just had a conversation with a pastor who is over-communicating with his people. And I use the illustration as a parent. And when I say over-communicating, there are some things that congregant members do not need to know about a pastor. <laughs> and I won't go into detail because it's not appropriate in a public setting, but... I can tell you, I've had examples of pastors, and by the way, even more egregious in this realm, this topic, are pastors' wives who might say things about their husband to congregant members that are simply not appropriate. I mean, I have an example I would love to give you, but I fear that we, we would all Maybe be. <laughs> yeah, but here's here's the point. the The parents who might be listening there are things you simply don't tell your children because you don't give them burdens that are not theirs to manage. For instance, let's say you're going through financial difficulty and, and there's issues there. That's a mother and a father responsibility that children should never have to bear, okay? And, and it's very logical with parents. And so I asked this pastor, I said, would you tell your children X, Y, and Z? Of course not, I wouldn't. Then why would you tell your congregational members the same categorical thing about you? It's simply not their burden to bear. And so, yes, I do think that there can be over-communication about things that are not necessary. And, and I, I take it back to the responsibility realm. And there are things that I bear as a responsibility as a pastor. I'll give you a very pointed example. 
when I first started out in the ministry, and by the way, I've gotten permission to tell this story from a woman, but when I when I started out in the ministry, I was installed at a 5.30 service. At 7 o'clock, we were downstairs kind of in the marriage ceremony style, cutting the cake. You know how they do that in the church. It's just silly. Anyways, we're cutting the cake. Everybody's having a piece of And this young girl and her mother come up to me and say, Pastor, can we talk to you in your office? Now, look, I'm so jacked up. I just got installed. I'm ordained. Here I am as a pastor. Let's go to the pastor's office. Not even conceptualizing of the fact that what's going to come out of this girl's mouth is going to be a massive problem. And now I'm going to have a bird. We sat down in my office and she proceeded to tell me that she's pregnant with a 40-year-old man's uh, child and she's 18. This man had children age of this young girl. And my instinct, my, my kind of shock and awe instinct was to go through confession and absolution, with, which is why I tell you that I've got permission to tell the story because I divulge what's been confessed to me. But the truth of the matter is, it was a moment in time where, you know, it's a burden now that I bear. It was the communication she was giving to me. She didn't come to confess. But when I pronounced absolution, she said to me, can't be that easy. And I said to her, if it wasn't that easy to receive forgiveness, no one would confess their sin. Now we need to deal with the consequence of the sin, which is separate from the forgiveness aspect. And, and then we proceeded to, to, to move forward and, and handle. You know, this is a perfect example where sometimes we're inviting communication and we don't know what's on the other end of that communication. and We have a responsibility to deal with what's coming. And in this case, my job as the pastor was to deal with that young woman and her family and to help. And so I just, I think sometimes when it comes to listening, we've got to be prepared that what we hear is going to require effort from us. I'll tell you another quick, very, for me, comical story. My predecessor, Dave Steckholz, was at a Winkle in Pittsburgh in our churches. And we got done with our meeting. We went to go to lunch. And he has a custom, and it's a wonderful pastoral custom. I haven't gotten into it as much as he has. But he asks the waitress, what can we pray for you? And she falls down on her knees and begins to weep that her husband was cheating on her with a neighbor. And so I grabbed my salad and my drink, and I told Dave Steckholz, you asked her, now you've got to deal with it. I'm going to eat. You know, I mean, the, the, the point is, he asked her a question soliciting, is there something for us to pray? Now he's got to go and deal with it. You can't ask that question. You can't ask somebody, is there something we're going to pray for you about? And then she gives you this dramatic problem, and then you just brush her off. I didn't ask her. He did. You've got to deal with it. I mean, that's what I, you know, and it's, it's somewhat comical. I've had it happen to me on a different occasion, but I think ultimately listening requires activity, and um, we, we have to be prepared for what we hear, and, and we have to be able to respond. It sounds like not just activity, but listening also involves commitment when it comes to a pastoral leader. I'm well, hearing absolutely commitment no. to to be sincere to what you just asked. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that goes to the first story I told about the young girl who wanted to talk to me in the office. I was so kind of overwhelmed with just joy that I'm a pastor now and I have a church and I got and they're calling me pastor. I had no concept. That, that going to my office meant I walked out with a burden, right? And it's a burden that I don't share. I mean, I, I share the circumstances in this setting here. But my point is, my wife, this was the conclusion to that story. My wife 
was approached by this young gal about four months after this interchange. And she said, I didn't know that you were pregnant to the young girl. And the young girl said, your husband didn't tell you. And my wife learned very quickly that I don't communicate with her those things that happen in the office. You see what I mean? And so this girl expected that I was going to go tell my wife she was pregnant. It was a part of confession and absolution. And I wasn't saying a word to anybody. You know, it's only since she's grown up and she had the child and everything has gone in a good way that I've since gone back to her and said, I think this is a great teaching tool. Do you mind if I use it? Even though it was in confession and absolution. And she said, please do. It's, you know, she understood the illustrative fact of how to communicate that. And it's really, I use this story with young pastors all the time because I tell them, your wives don't need to carry the burden that you carry in the office. Your wife, my wife has no need to worry about this young girl, her spiritual welfare, her physical welfare, that's my job. And for me to tell my wife her burdens, this girl's burdens, number one, violates my oath of office in sharing those things confessed. But number two, it puts a burden on my wife that my wife has never asked to have. And I think that's the other part of communication we've got to understand. You, you simply bear responsibility with the office that others don't. To sum it up, we're just about out of time, about another minute here. To sum it up, from your perspective, what is an effective communicator? You know, there's no doubt in my mind that effective communication comes from clarity, repetition, and intentionality. Those three things are, are really important. You must be clear in your communication. You must have repetition in saying the same thing, frankly, over and over again. And then you must have intentionality when it comes to if you ask somebody to talk to you or to share with you, you got to be prepared. And, and very simply practicing clear communication in very non-important settings is important for very important settings. If you don't know how to communicate effectively, you should, you should try it in, in kind of unimportant settings to practice what you know, you're trying to achieve. And then going back to that final point, listening is a form of communication. I mean, it just simply is. I don't think a lot of pastors understand. We we are asked to listen to a lot of stuff. True listening means you're engaged. And I would encourage anybody as a good communicator to be engaged. Our guest today, the Reverend Dr. Jameson Hardy, Bishop of the English District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and author of Pastoral Leadership, Shepherding and Caring for God's People from Concordia Publishing House. Dr. Hardy, thanks for being our guest today. You're welcome. Thanks for it. You've been listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.